Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Longbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. Uh, this week we are doing one of your picks, so I'll let you do the uh, intro of what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about Action Comics 1 through 3, the uh, originals from, uh, what, 1938, and um, just the Superman bits. We're ignoring all the other shit that would have been in these at the time. I actually checked digitally. At least when I tried to read Action Comics number one on DC Unlimited, it only had the Superman bits in it. Um, so I assume that's probably pretty steady for most digital versions. I know there's some facsimile versions of Action Comics number one that have the other shit in it, because I've got one of those, but we're not bothered enough. No one cares about any of the rest of it. None of the other characters or strips are relevant. Superman is extremely relevant, and this is where he first appeared creative team roll call it's probably incomplete because essentially we just have um the two creators who are jerry seigel siegel siegel jerry siegel and joe shuster um throughout these i believe he's referred to as jerome siegel in the actual imprint crediting and it's Siegel's the writer and Shuster's the artist, right? Yep. Okay. And those are the only people who are accredited here. And it's entirely possible, probably even likely, that there are other people missing here in terms of almost definitely a letterer, possibly a colorist. At this point in comic book history, it was very common for... Honestly, for things to just not be credited at all, or for, like, those sorts of lower down the totem pole uh, creative team members specifically to be left out. So, I don't know if there are any Superman experts out there who know for sure, like, if, oh no, they lettered these themselves, or if, you know, if there's missing names of people who worked on this, but that's just lost to time due to the industry practices back in the 30s. Honestly don't know, so sorry to mystery potential other collaborators. I know that the first issue's stories were literally completely finished as newspaper strips. So I believe Shuster, like, lettered those at the very least. Maybe not colored, but lettered them. If, like, that's the format that they... Well, that is the format they originally designed for, and they cut and pasted them into a comic book format as a cheap thing to do that's a good point and like yeah i suppose with that kept in mind i suppose it wouldn't be surprising if they did actually do all of this early lettering themselves which i guess yeah let's go ahead and just talk about that formatting quirk a little bit because this is very early days american comic books comic books you know largely grew out of comic strips and, like, there are certain issues and things that, looking back, that, like, comic scholars look back and say, that's considered the first comic book. And it'll be, like, things they talk about of, like, changing to the sort of, like, periodical formats, or here's the first who is sold on newsstands the way they would be going forward. But this is still the very early days, like, a medium is being born 
probably wouldn't be surprised back in those early days if people didn't really even think about them as being separate or as like a different medium from comic strips. You know, like you said, these specific, at least the first story, not sure how far beyond it, were originally designed as like a newspaper comic and sort of the panel structure and everything, which I suppose we can talk a bit later too about like how that affects the art and the way that the plot sort of moves forward on the page. But yeah, if you did not already know, aren't a comic history buff, Superman is literally the first superhero. Batman does not exist at this point. None of Marvel's earliest characters exist at this point. Neither DC nor Marvel are known as DC or Marvel. This is the absolute prototype era of American comic books as an industry at all. Yeah, uh, Superman's the first, and it's it's weird how fully formed the concept of a superhero already is here. He's got superpowers and an outfit and a secret identity, which, the stuff like the shadow, but he doesn't have the powers, and he doesn't have, like, there's a couple things that exist beforehand that are sort of prototype, like, but Superman's very distinctly, he's just like, this this just is a superhero comic off the bat with all the things that you would expect from the genre are just here in this first issue for good or for ill yeah like the costume especially because even like in the 60s marvel uh relaunch with the fantastic four they didn't even immediately get their costumes like they waited a couple months before they had those whereas superman is already out here in his honestly you know, like, it looks different from how it would be drawn today, but all of the basics are the exact same. You know, you have the blue base, you have red shorts with, like, a yellow gold embellished sort of belt over it. You have a chest insignia, even if it's very crude compared to modern stuff. And you have a big billowing red cape. And, like, even sort of, like, the hair length is right, you know, dark hair, shorts. Like, this just is Superman. The boots aren't red yet, but that's like the main costume change is that and then just the way the logo evolves. Right now it's sort of a weird gold triangle where you can't really see that it's an S in most panels because I- I'm gonna be honest, I-, I don't think the art is bad if you consider the time. And I don't know what's been done in terms of restoring it and like trying to make it look as close to the original as possible. Who knows? But it ain't that good either. Yeah, it's very much like... I would never hand this to someone as something outside of the context of, like, a historic artifact. You know, like, some old comics we've talked about on the show, and we've been like, these are good, these hold up. Like, we would still hand someone Days of Future Past. Or even Neil Adams. Yes, exactly. And, like, be able to expect that they would be able to, like, legitimately enjoy it without sort of, like, a qualifier. I guess I'm kind of trying to be careful with my words because I don't want to sound really insulting, but just, I think it's fair to say that just, it is historic fact that what one would expect from comic book arts and what the standards and practices were, were simply wildly different than what they are now. I would say this is a work of creative genius, but it also does not hold up. Both can be true. I think that's a fair point, yeah. So, the cover is very famous, and I think the cover is also the best drawn thing here. We have a very nice car that's being smashed. Like, I think the cover looks quite good. 
you know what the cover looks like. You've all seen it. Yeah, it's very dynamic. It's just Superman is lifting the car, and there's, like, men running away. I don't know what else specifically they printed in Action Comics number one, but in terms of things that could have potentially gained my attention on a newsstand, or even, yeah, I guess just, like, things that could have gained my attention on a newsstand as I was walking around as my eight-year-old child self. I keep trying to think of, like, old-timey jokes to make, and then my old-timey jokes are more recent than this, you know? Because, like, when I think old-timey, I think, like, 1950s TV land, leave it to beaver, and this predates that. This is this is the kid in the Great Depression who's managed to scrounge a dime out of the gutter and feels rich for a minute because that's actually a fair chunk of money back in those days. Like, this is pre- at least U.S. involvement in World War II. From an American point of view, this is pre-World War II. Yeah. <laughs> at least, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Pearl Harbor is not till like, 41, right? Yeah, yeah, no, the U.S. wasn't in World War II in the 40s. I think this is, like, right around, like, this is real close to the start. Fun fact for uh, Americans, Captain America was participating in World War II before America was. Which is why I like him. Yeah, yeah. Punching Hitler on the cover before America even entered the war. But yeah, back to this superhero, this, the this first one. superhero. We may cover that eventually because I do want to cover the Hitler punch. Yeah. We open with his origin, which is... Okay, okay, actually hang on. We open with the Superman logo that is basically already the logo that we have on every Superman comic today and the movie. It's already that text with the 3D heading off to the side at the weird angle that doesn't actually look right for it being three-dimensional, but, like, it's already there with the swoop on it and everything. It's frankly shocking how much of what's here is exactly the same as what stays there's some weird shit, too, that we will be getting into, but there is, like, so much of this is already here. We have the one and only panel of, it's not called Krypton, it's a distant planet was destroyed by old age. A scientist placed his infant son within a hastily devised spaceship, launching it toward Earth. And it's just a panel of a fairly ordinary-looking building in some mountains, and then I guess there's, like, explosions, maybe it's collapsing or something... It's very unspecific. It honestly, like, without the caption, I would not think this is a foreign world. I would just go, that's a building, there's some mountains, there's some sort of rising aircraft. You know, like, it's not giving Krypton, which makes sense considering that literally, like you said, Krypton is not named. Yeah, it's... it's it's, it's, it's just weird what's already here and then what isn't, and some of the things you would expect would be the kind of thing that developed over time. Those are the things that are already here. I mean, a lot of the things that you would expect them to have figured out beforehand, they aren't. Uh, Ma and Pa Kent do not exist. He is discovered by a motorist who brings him to an orphanage, and he shocks the workers at the orphanage with his powers, with his feats of strength. And we get this panel of a baby lifting up a red, like a big red chair just over his head. When maturity was reached, he discovered he could easily leap one-eighth of a mile, hurdle a 20-story building, raise tremendous weights, 
run faster than an express train, and that nothing less than a bursting shell could penetrate his skin. We already have him being faster than trains and stronger than bullets. We do, and like, it's the same base power set for the most part. I don't think we see him doing any like laser vision or any of the sort of like yeah the heat vision and the freeze breath aren't here yet and he can't fly he can jump yeah he can just effectively fly but not exactly but it's like the core is here but i think it's also interesting in retrospect of just like i guess like the historic phenomenon of just like power creep and the narrative need to raise the stakes and up the ante where like you know, modern Superman has freeze breath, has lasers, but also just his physical strength and invulnerability is like unto a god. Versus here, it's like, I definitely get the sense that he's meant to be less powerful than he would be in a modern comic, but he still reads like a god figure, or at least, you know, very beyond the realm of man, beyond what's possible, shocking the onlookers because of like all the feats that you laid out in the description. And also just like, you know, pre-computers, pre-conclusion of World War II, pre-modern concept of the superhero and all the abilities that can come with it. Like, you know, this at the time would absolutely seem like, oh my God, what a superhuman, you know? Well, the other thing about that is at no point in any of these first three issues, or like the six I read after this just for fun because I was enjoying them, does you ever feel like Superman is in any degree of danger whatsoever? Yeah, yeah. There is no threat to him at all. Every time someone pulls a gun on him, it already bounces off his skin. It's like... The, the the power creep thing I think is relative, but only because they kept introducing new supervillains and he had to beat up. Yeah, it's like more of sort of a like the Wikipedia page powers list will get longer, but the sort of like tonal sense of him being above humanity is like already here. Yeah, it's he's he's already just leaping around. again. The 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 leaping just changes to flying for the cartoon because it was easier to animate him flying than him jumping but the 41 i want to say max fleischer cartoons which are astonishing and you should go watch them if you have not um they're on youtube they're legally on youtube because those are in the public domain while the character of superman remains not in the public domain unfortunately 2034 i'm excited that's gonna be good i don't expect it'll actually happen because of rich corporations doing what they do to just buy their way out of it See, but it would was, be very cool if he was owned by disney maybe but do warner brothers have the money for that but will warner brothers be bought by disney before then well if we live in a corp top corp corporatocracy is there a word for that look if we're living in marvel 2099 then yes but hopefully Hopefully, we won't, because I would love to see what people who don't have corporate comics could do with Superman, in part because of what's in these issues. Uh, to be clear, we are now four panels into this comic. Yeah, let's get back to the, a little back to what's on page. Early Clark decided he must turn his titanic strength into channels that would benefit mankind, and so was created Superman! 
champion of the oppressed, the physical marvel who had sworn to devote his existence to helping those in need. And then we finally get another little panel that's like, ants can lift heavy things and grasshoppers can jump real far relative to their size. So Superman's powers make sense, guys. I didn't have much specific idea going in what I'd be seeing here other than just having like a general idea of maybe what the artistic sensibility would be from having read like contemporaries to this of early Batman and stuff that, you know, were like a little after, but just, you know, still that prototypal golden age aesthetic. I did not expect for a third of the first page of Superman to be taken up by pictures of insects. <laughs> that was a little surprising. Speaking of which, that's the first page. Yeah, that's the first page. They do, like, even though it's issue number one, the first appearance, never have you seen anything like him before. They still just speed that origin out immediately in a single page. We don't actually have the Clark Kent thing explained. They refer to him as Clark in the thing where he decides to be, like, Superman, but they don't explain the whole glasses thing. It just sort of happens. Like, it's just there later in the issue, and you're like, oh, I guess he disguises himself as a reporter? Okay. Yeah, which, I guess just speaking of things that just are immediately here, there are two characters who debut in this who have been around ever since, and those are Superman and Lois Lane. Lois is literally here at the very beginning, and like you said, so is the newspaper. So even though, like not all of the, like, other employees there. You know, like, we don't have a Jimmy Olsen. And I think even the name of the newspaper is gonna change. Yeah, it's the Daily Star for a while. It, the Daily Planet thing comes later. Yeah, but we still just have Superman in costume, and then the same identity that's gonna stick, and also Lois Lane. There's no, like, Spider-Man, where for, like, two years the initial love interest is, like, Betty Brandt, and now no one knows who the fuck Betty Brandt is. Lois is just here. I like Betty Brandt. So do I, but no one that hasn't read a lot of Marvel knows who that is. <laughs> that's deeply depressing, but okay, I, I yeah, that, that's, that's fine. They should put her in your Venom movies. You say my Venom movies, like you, like you still have yet to fool you. I can't get on a tangent about how... <laughs> I haven't even seen the second one yet. Okay. We're going to get this. you... We're going to get you into Venom. We're really going to... I talk about getting you into sports manga. We're going to get you into Venom. But anyway. Um, back to what I, I just love about these old... Superman is a brash asshole. So the first thing we see is him flying through... He's jumping like... Is that like a hundred feet up in the air above some random fucking suburbs, it looks like. Carrying a woman who he has bound and gagged. <laughs> he, he reaches the governor's estate. So he has jumped to the governor's house. He drops her on the ground next to a tree and sh says, Make yourself comfortable. I haven't time to attend to it. It's also the middle of the night because essentially the woman he has, like tied up and gagged is like the real murderer behind a crime and he's hurrying to the governor because there's a woman who's about to be killed for the crime like corporal punishment or whatever is about to be executed 
and basically he's trying to make it in time to make the governor call that off. I kind of wonder why why the state-sanctioned death penalty is being carried out at the middle of the night. I'm like, do do the people in that profession actually have that weird of hours? Because I kind of doubt it. Maybe Maybe it's happening in a different time zone? It can't be, though, because it's a governor. It's not like a president. It's like, if the governor has the power, it has to be local. (laughs) Maybe it's just, maybe it's just gives more excuse for more obstacles in the way to be waking this bitch up. I don't know. Technically, this takes place on Earth 2. Maybe Earth 2 is just fucking weird. And they, they kill everyone at midnight. We can't get into Earth Two. We can't get into crises. <laughs> well, no, because this is this is a Superman who was the one on Earth Two, who's retconned into the one on Earth Two, because he's the one who fought the Nazis, and and the other one from the fifties and sixties is a different guy. Anyway, back to this. He busts through the guy's door when they won't open it, and the guy is like, "This is illegal entry. I'll have you arrested." He's like. Are you going to take me to the governor? No, but I'll take you to him. And he grabs him and carries him up above his head up the stairs as the guy calls for help. This, like, I assume, like, aide or something of the governor, like, live-in aide or just someone else that lives there. He's got a little nightcap, his little slippers. Yeah. His dressing gown. For some reason, the governor, in the late 30s, and again, the governor, not even the president— has this giant steel door on the bedroom. It's not his bedroom. It's his sleeping room. Okay. His sleeping (laughs) room. Which is such a weird fucking way of putting it. (laughs) Has a steel door to his sleeping room as a comparatively minor politician in the 30s. And Superman rips that shit up, barges in. Two doors and two pages. Yeah. Both times, like, this guy being like, don't knock the door down. He's like, knocking the door down. I will point out, we're a few pages in, and we've already confirmed that Superman, hero to the oppressed, is all about property damage when it needs to happen. Does not care. Will wreck your shit. It's, it's, uh, he's just such a dickhead, but in, like, a really fun way. Is he a dickhead even? Like, I appreciate it. He has no time for bullshit. Uh, uh, Yeah, yeah. It's admittedly, the guy wasn't letting him in to talk to the governor. And I guess this is the only way to save this woman they're randomly murdering at midnight. He does what he has to do. (laughs) Fuck the governor's door. the, The governor's butler shoots him and he's just like, doesn't even notice and grabs the gun away from him. He's like, stop that. No time for horseplay. I will point out a little visual bit in these panels. In two of these panels, only two across this entire thing, where there's the whole, like, fret of he has to do it in time to save this woman's life. Two of the panels have little red squares in their corners saying a life is in balance and then such and such minutes left to go. And the execution's just really weird because if you're going to do a thing like this, You would expect to, like, A, start it when the time limit concept is established or introduced, and then, like, keep it going, at least periodically, versus we just get two panels that have it in the middle, and then it's over. 
The best thing is the two panels are right next to each other and don't appear to have any, like, significant amount of time passed between them. Like, one is him stopping the butler and the next thing is him saying at the governor that he's got proof that the lady who's about to be executed is, like, innocent. And he's already explained about the lady, so he didn't have to stop and do that. But three minutes has passed. I'm like, what were you doing for three minutes? You had already told the governor that you had a paper proving this woman was innocent. Yeah, progression of time here is very strange, which, at least with regards to, like, when they give a specific numerical detail, I suppose in relation to, like, the progression of time here... What do you think about the literal visual storytelling of just sort of, like, clarity and pacing of these, like, literal would-be newspaper strips and how the art progresses the story? I think it's quite messy, and I think a lot of that might be because these have been cut and pasted from their original format. Like, I have to wonder, like, if these were going to be newspaper strips, then surely they would have been designed to only be, like three to four read at a time, like in that day's newspaper, like, they would be stopping and starting a lot more, right? Like, I think the sequence of panels, for example, where he is, like, like the, this is the governor's sleeping room, you're not gonna get away with this, you can't get through the steel door, and he pulls the door off and, like, drops it down as, like, it's your idea, that, to me, feels like a single-day strip. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, that seems very neat. And then there's other places where I'm like, I can't figure out where this would have been cut. Maybe, like, when the guy shoots at him. Like, I think there's maybe two to a page, almost. But then they also could have shifted the order of the panels around when they did this. The dialogue could have been changed. It's hard to tell. With regards to, like, them moving panels around, too, I don't think as much in this first story. But at least one of them, of these early issues... Some of them will have, like, numbers in their corners per panel. But the thing is that while for the most part the numbers are in the same order that they're presented, occasionally they'll be out of order or, like, a number will be skipped. Except it still reads like it's presented the way it was meant to. So I don't know if that means they did a relatively good job editing it or what happened. But yeah, there are fully, like numbered panels but then the numbers don't always correspond but then for them not corresponding it could have been a lot worse in terms of clarity yeah yeah it's these are definitely a historical artifact um i don't think that it's awful i certainly there's a there's a fun energy to these a lot of it i think is just like the forthrightness of like superman's personality i think really just carries everything through like he's constantly doing shit there's not a panel where Superman is, like, holding still or, like, stopped for a moment. Every single time Superman is on panel, he is in motion and probably shouting at someone at the top of his lungs. Like, every line of dialogue reads that way. And that aspect of it, I think, is probably the energy that got people to be obsessed with this character and make this such a huge hit and create a whole genre. Well, he's, like, constantly doing shit. But that shit, like, specifically isn't fighting supervillains. Like, this is a superhero, but everything he's fighting is real-world human, like, greed. You know, like, we talk about the governor. A lot of what he's dealing with is, like, political specifically. He is really just taking down real-world problems, which I guess as we progress and get to, like, the specific stories 
you know, we'll talk about how the actual execution isn't necessarily nuanced or particularly, you know, like if you uh, ran these to- no. today, then there would be Twitter threads about how naive the politics are. But there's like an earnestness and a forthrightness that I think is enjoyable and that I wish modern sensibility corporate owned comics would have more of except the fact that they're corporate owned tells you why they don't action comics 3 is batshit in a way that i really appreciate specifically that's the one i'm most looking forward to talking about it has exactly one panel of superman in the superman outfit but it is the most indicative i think of what these things are like back in the early days we don't have lex Luthor. we don't have ultra humanite who's the first one who shows up it's clark occasionally a gangster sometimes some rich people um speaking of clark our first appearance of clark kent is halfway through a page of him asking to see a paper and being glad that he's not mentioned in like the news as superman about like getting this girl rescued if you didn't want to be mentioned in the news i don't know why you would wear that outfit yeah like clark's like actual like superhero public versus private figure status here is kind of i guess one of the oddest most ill-defined things here or maybe it even seems less ill-defined and more just like surprisingly secretive except for the fact that he's fully wearing the costume so it's still just like if you don't want people to know you're doing this go smallville style and just like wear a trench coat like he can outrun a train he can handle things relatively quickly and the cape is essential to being able to jump over buildings i guess yeah it's very odd it has to be bright red otherwise it won't work yeah i don't know i i can't explain the weirdness of that the the fact the weirdness for me though is that the whole concept of the secret identity is just introduced here it there's no like there is a guy who we only figure out as superman because he says oh good i'm not mentioned who's wearing glasses and like a hat i'm trying to picture being a kid in 1938 and i'm like who the fuck is this i've just been reading for a couple pages about this guy in a blue outfit like shouting at people why is there now like is he the guy in the glasses why is he doing that what is this it's it's such an obvious thing to us now but like the way it is introduced it's just here here it is there he is that's clark kent that's what he does man rupaul woman rupaul never in the same room at the same time (laughs) are these different people (laughs) but yeah yeah they don't necessarily hold the reader's hand extremely in the sense of like even though these are old comics they're not necessarily extraordinarily warty or like narrative caption driven you know like the things that chris claremont writes 50 years after this i would argue are much wardier so for like for comics of this period i think they're actually maybe a little uniquely good on the side of not cramming too much text in and allowing the art to do some of the lifting but yeah they also by means of that just kind of trust the reader to figure it out which I think is fine. Yeah, it's just such an odd, like, no one knew what a secret identity was because this is the first time anyone sort of did this kind of thing in, like, this context. And anyway, point is, we 
we get um um not Perry White yet uh has Clark like come into his office and says do you ever did you ever hear of Superman and Clark goes what in like all caps exclamation mark what a what? perfectly normal way to respond to a question and not at all suspicious or strange if you had not heard of Superman you would just be like what's that and if you had why are you this shot Clark you're terrible at this he basically immediately sets out about the sort of Peter Parker Spider-Man thing of I'm the reporter who's going to figure out I'm going to learn about Superman. But he is Superman. Yeah, it's listen, chief, if I can't find out anything about Superman, no one can, which like fair. Uh, We then have a less than one page total story about a wife beater. Apparently someone has phoned into the newspaper with a tip that someone is attacking his wife. Theoretically, what are they thinking calling the newspaper, you know? Because it's like, is the newspaper going to send someone to help? I guess they did. Because Superman's here. Yep, yep. Clark is like, yes, I'll take that one and runs out. And I'm like, okay, all right. The weirdness of that. Um, He goes in, he beats the shit out of the guy. He shouts, you're not fighting a woman now, which... It's 1938, you can just roll your eyes at that. By standards of 1938, you know, I'll take it. Because, you know, the way he talks, whatever, of course. It's but at the end stuff. of Yeah, but at the end of the day, this is still a man beating the shit out of a wife beater, which I can appreciate. You know, like this is, like from this time period, you know, it wouldn't be surprising, or even, you know, today too, but just... You know, it wouldn't be surprising seeing something like downplaying the violence against the woman or anything like that or like trying to normalize it. Whereas here, a Superman punches this bitch into the wall, which is nice. Um, the guy like attacks him with a knife and the knife doesn't work, so he just faints out of shock. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, if you consider again the 1930s, so, uh, well, here we go. We finally get a decent shot of the chest emblem here where we can see it's an S that's, like, very tightly drawn against the triangle shape. This is the first panel where you can actually, like, see what it is that he has on his chest. The art's very strange sometimes. Here it's much closer to that specific S design that, like, elementary schoolers would scratch into their desks. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe yeah. that's... Okay. Yeah, I think so. Um, Superman beats up the wife beater who faints. We then move immediately to another situation of Superman slash Clark having to deal with men acting improperly towards a woman where he's at an event as Clark with Lois and these men approach like, trying to demand her attention to get him to leave and such. She slaps the shit out of them. Yeah, like, she slaps them, and she, like, wants Clark to, like, also stick up for her and be on her side, but he's just a coward and is just like, let's be reasonable and, you know, we'll leave right after. Like, just dance with him. Just give in and give him a single dance and then we can leave. And then she slaps the bitch, and then she gets kidnapped. And Superman has to rescue her after she did more to stick up for herself than Clark did. 
I know he's trying to keep his secret identity, but he doesn't need to use his superpowers on these fuckers. Like, he can just, like, I, okay. It's weird. It's weird. There's, there is a fun bit where, as she's slapping the guy, he's like, Cover you, Lois. Lois, don't! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, strange. It, this, it's, yeah, it's strange. Lois is already just, like, Lois Lane here. Like, when Superman asks, well, when Clark asks her out, she's like, I suppose I'll give you a break for a change. She's already, like, the feisty reporter thing. I mean, she's very heavily based on some um, characters from some movies that were coming out at the same time. She's basically already there, I would say. Like, this is Lois. This is recognizably Lois. Yeah, like, she's not a damsel in distress figure with no agency of, I suppose maybe it's... She's a damsel in distress, but she absolutely has the agency of choosing to get herself into these situations. Yeah, yeah, like, she is still a damsel, but she's not just always waiting around without at least trying to help herself or, you know, just having self-respect. It's fair to be kidnapped by three guys working together, I would say, when you're one person. Yeah, she still gets kidnapped, so we do still have the damsel storyline in that way but luckily once clark's time to not be helpful comes to a wrap it's superman time where we specifically have him using his super speed racing after the car she's been kidnapped in lifting it over his head shaking it for everyone to get out and then I guess just waving it, smashing it some more before going after the kidnappers. It's the cover. He smashes it like he is on the cover. And we get, it's it's literally the same panel is basically the same as the cover. Even like the guy running away is the same. It's the explanation for the cover of the book. Yeah, which like, I guess this red figure is meant to be Lois, who he's helping more gently out a little bit though it still is not fucking gentle while the others he just like shakes out of them out of the car i mean he then takes one of the kidnappers hoists this bitch on top of a telephone pole and then goes back hangs him there by his underpants yeah and then goes back to talk to lois lane tells her i'd advise you not to print this little episode so again, sort of wants Superman to be a secret, whatever that's about. Has it his is bright red underwear. Yeah. And then has his moment when we skip forward to the next day where the caption says Lois treats Cl- Cl- Lois treats Clark colder than ever. And we have Clark saying, "I'm sorry about last night. Please don't be angry with me." And Lois is not even looking at him, and she shouldn't because fuck him. See now, if I was Lois in this situation, I too would be interested in Superman, but not Clark Kent. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Clark in stories nowadays is a much like more active and useful character, but in these, it's very much just a thing Superman does between all the bits where he's Supermaning. And it's like, not only is he doing human secret identity, he's like overcompensating by feeling like he has to act like the biggest wallflower who not only doesn't have superpowers, but doesn't even have average human physical powers, could not hurt a fly. Even, like, he could have faked getting the shit kicked out of him by those guys, and she'd get kidnapped anyway, and she wouldn't be nearly as pissed as him at him. 
Like, it was still one against three. Like, you don't need to... He's not very smooth. It, it's... Yeah, yeah. It's just sort of... It's weird because he laments not being able to, like, do his... I'm also sort of like, to an extent at this point, you, you don't... You don't know why he's being Clark Kent at all. Like, that's just not a thing that's explained. He just laments his situation that he's in. And I think that, like... The secret identity drama is great, and I love it. And this is very early days for figuring out how to do it in a way that makes sense. Uh, moving on, um, there is a war happening in a small South American republic, and Clark is getting sent as a war correspondent. So he takes a train to D.C. rather than the country he's going to. Like, goes to a Senate hearing, follows one of the senators who is being spoken to by a lobbyist he then goes eavesdrops on the lobbyist and the senator like planning on getting this bill passed to get the wait why i'm just i'm just now realizing literally during this page it swaps from being about a south american country to a european country the war is now in europe the war is now in Europe rather than South America. It says South America on the previous page. I, I, I was reading this, and I was like, oh, that was South America, and I thought it was Europe. And now I'm reading this, I'm like, it is in Europe. It's the whole thing is this weirdly, like, long and multiple stop just chase of finding one person after the next of, I'm monitoring the senator who's, like, in talks to do this horrible bill. And here's the lobbyist who's talking to him. But the lobbyist isn't the end of the line. I need to hijack the lobbyist and run him across power lines so he's afraid of being electrocuted. (laughs) So he'll tell me, like, which big, rich, just, like, financial figure is really behind everything. He grabs the man by his fucking ankle and starts running along power lines with him, and he's freaking the fuck out. He's like, oh, I almost touched the pole. We nearly got electrocuted. And he's like, I'm gonna just jump to that building. Let me see if I can make it all the way over there. And the last panel of Action Comics number one, our cliffhanger for the future following Superman stories, is him just going, missed, doggone it, while, like, just sort of halfway through the air. Missed dog on it, but he's gonna be fine because he's just gonna land and need to jump again. But just this guy shitting bricks and like in Superman's arms, <laughs> it's very strange. And like that takes us into issue number two, which say wasn't that fun? Let's do it again after he's just landed on the ground. I think this issue in particular, sort of shows the awkwardness of the converting material meant for one format into another. Because just like all the plot beats in this issue, it's like one story wraps up and then another starts. And it's very clear that like, this didn't start out as like its own script with like a narrative beginning, middle and end. It's very kind of stop start. Well, I mean, we just described Action Comics number one, and we had, like, three, four different plots in that. Yeah. Of, like, varying random lengths, and they would start, like, mid-page just because of the way it was cut and paste. This is better in that I guess this is technically all one plot, but it's, it's also not. It's very strange. This one is essentially all about him making sure that this crooked mun- munitions executive just like 
I guess just gets the fuck out of the country. He's like, you better get on that fucking boat and get out of here. And so it turns into this long, weird thing. The lobbyist tells him who was paying him. So he goes and he threatens that guy and is like, you're going to go to this country that is at war because of, like, this. Yeah, and the first part of this, like, war thing is just this boat adventure where it's established at the start that there are other people on the boat besides... I suppose I should clarify. He tells the man he needs to get on the boat and leave. And he then also gets on the boat in the guise of Clark Kent to make sure that the guy is there and actually follows instructions. While there, he runs into Lois Lane. And when he asks her why she's there, she says, Our editor decided to have me accompany you to the war zone and send back dispatches colored with my distinctive feminine touch. She's lying, by the way. <laughs> what are we to make of this? What is happening? She's just going after the story because she's Lois Lane and that's what she does. We also, she is one of two... Identically drawn women here. Yes. The other named Lola Cortez, who is described, and these are the exact words, woman of mystery, an exotic beauty, who fairly radiates danger and intrigue. And I said something to you off mic earlier today, similar to what I'm about to say, which is just that it feels preposterous to have the narration tell us that any of these characters are meant to be attractive because of just how crude the art is and how little actual distinctive detail, you know, the faces have with, you know, like you said, like Lois versus this woman. You know, like, there's very few archetypes, and, like, woman is one of those archetypes, and it's just, like, there's very little lines here to distinguish one woman from another, so I guess you do need the narration to tell me which one is the sexy one, because otherwise, this bare-bones drawing of a person is not going to titillate me on its own. Shasta could draw about, like six people and I'm, I'm not actually going to use this to show this i think this is true of a lot of comic book artists like that's why with comic book characters if you've got actually for example right now in the x-men you have jean gray and firestar on the same team and they are both women with fire motifs and red hair that is long and goes past their shoulders so firestar's just gotten a haircut so that they can tell them apart when they draw them it's it's just a thing in the medium i think because of the way you're drawing that said, this is more limited than that. There's, it's, and, and as I said, there's like maybe every panel here is populated by some random grouping of, I'd say the same, maybe six people, but there is only one woman. There are like older men, thinner men, larger men, and Clark and Lois. Yeah. Some of the guys look like Clark as well. They do. I guess, like, in the interest of sort of going a bit quicker on this one to have more time on the third, since it's your favorite. Yes. Essentially, the plot of number two, a bunch of weird shit happens on the boats. Clark has to save Lois after she gets framed for something by sexy espionage woman. Saves the day, and we get a whole weird plot of... He bullies his way through this war zone. Like, this entire issue is just Superman randomly picking people to bully. The munitions producer. He just forces him to be, like, in the war. He's like, you're gonna fight on the front lines. And the guy's like, this is no place for sane man, I'll die. He's like, well... Yeah, oh yeah, because it's also like... Because he forces the guy to enlist as a soldier. 
But then Clark himself disguises himself as another soldier, and it's just like, huh, when it's your life, suddenly you care. You know, because the whole thing is that he is a rich dude who has gotten, well, who has gotten rich off of war, and, you know, doesn't care about the cost of other people dying if it makes him money. And he's just like, put your own skin on the line. And it's a very sort of simplistic, you know, approach to this sort of story of approaching human evil and stuff. But I can at least appreciate how direct it is. And we get also at the end... This is the best bit. He finds the generals of each army, the head commander, who... I guess don't answer for simplicity's sake to like the heads of state of their countries. Just clearly, this war is driven solely by munitions lobbyists. Yeah, that is why they're fi- there's no there's no historical context for this war. There's no political ideology behind either of these men, and he's just like, I've decided to end this war by having you two fight it out between yourselves. Go ahead, fight, or I'll clean up on both of you myself. And they ask why they should fight, because they literally have no idea why the war is happening between their people at all. We're not angry at each other. And this, I think, (laughs) is where it most falls flat in the ability, even looking back in hindsight, you know, even giving grace to it being super old, this still, I think, is just... World War II was building, and, like, that is a war of a lot of complicated like reasons for happening it's just this whole of history and like the thing is the creators would have been aware of that that's what's weird about this moment to me yeah like it just reads really shallow of like you know like there is no war that does not have you know like cultural context behind it you know and i'm not saying that like the reasons for the war are just you know they don't justify the violence no but it's Like, there's still an ideological framework that has been pushed, whether, you know, from top down or whatever, like, not necessarily deeply held by each individual soldier, but there's a cultural force and reasoning behind these wars. You know, even if these two generals didn't start it themselves, they would still, you know, have whatever shitty ideology they had of some justification in their head. Even if it was just about, like, holding power for themselves, you know, like, there would be something, you know, and I think on that level, they're just... I think you'll find they're not angry at each other, though. Why should they fight? They're not angry at each other. I don't know. Can you tell me? (laughs) I don't know. They can't tell me. (laughs) Yeah, it's just very shallow. So, that part, I think, even for as old and whatever it is, is, I'm just like, that part's bad. It's just bad. I think it's fun in just how utterly insane it is, but I don't think it's good i really appreciate it the the common theme in these the champion of oppressed is the first name they give for superman like most people think of like man of steel or man of tomorrow but like the first thing they use was champion of the oppressed and i think that superman comics should get back to that they have occasionally and it's been very good and we'll be talking about some of those stories in the future and like i don't mind if people try that and it's messy i think that's still more always going to be more interesting than doing something safe i agree yeah part of why krakoa x-men is better than almost oliver x-men because they're at least trying you know like the thing with like just superhero metaphors and justice and real world problems you know it's like there are ways it's difficult but it's like 
kind of finding the balancing act of like, how do we at least think about these things and sort of play with metaphors in a way that makes it feel like we're just analyzing the concepts of the medium and of the genre, but also, you know, at least like saying something, even if you're aware of the limitations of your medium, as opposed to a Tom Taylor comic, where you just kind of shout the name of an issue and then people act like you're deep and really well thought out and just i don't think people feel that way about tom taylor these days the thing is some people do and i'm just like i I appreciate that he's trying to have more representation in the books he's writing but that's about it yeah this is not a tom taylor episode but i think it's very relevant for superman right now and i'm just sort of like yeah okay we haven't done any hate read podcast episodes yet on this show but they're coming they're coming and current superman would be a candidate but sorry i've gone on a tangent uh well now we have to go to um the best issue of these three in my opinion this one is all one story and there's barely any of like actual clock in the suit in it it's action comics number three which is the one where for context of why i love it this is the one where superman gets an entire, like, rich mine owner's party of rich people trapped in his mine that is dangerous and unsafe in order to force the guy to treat his miners better. Yeah, because, like, the whole thing all comes out of uh, Clark Kent learning about this accident or, like, this miner is just, like, he lives, but I don't remember if they say specifically... He's paralyzed for life. Yeah, like just irrevocably had his life changed there's a mining accident clock gets there and because he like the newspaper he goes down and saves the guy um and then he's sort of interviewing him later and it's the miners knew the mine was unsafe and to quote the miner is like uh named stanislaw koba and very clearly written to have an accent. So I'm going to do the accent because that's fun. Uh, yeah, but we go, but we no quit. Got wife, kids, bills. So back to mine and long hours and little pay and maybe to die. Yeah, like it's very specifically like the miners here are being kept in unsafe conditions. The bosses don't care. They're just like, if you don't like it, leave. And then you can just go about with no money. And it's just that sort of really shitty labor situation. And after meeting with this guy... It's capitalism as a trap. Yeah, and Clark then goes to talk to, like, the owner of the mine. And he's just like, have you arranged a pension for that man? And then we get just, still feels very relevant. The guy being like, of course not, it's his fault. And just like the mine owner is doing the whole, like, push responsibility onto the employee, you know, just don't care about anyone and then blame everyone else but yourself for when your actions cause literal bodily harm. And then, like, a little wave away of pretending like you're helping by being like, we'll do a reasonable share of his medical bills. So not even all of his medical bills, just whatever he deems reasonable enough to make himself look good. And then he's clearly tired of this reporter's questioning. And it's just like, this interview's over. Yeah, the way this guy feels like a, well, I mean, he, he's, he's a silly comic book villain. But he's also, I think, the the most realistically written person so far in this entire story. Like, 
in, in, in any of these three issues. Yeah. This fucker is the most real feeling because these people exist and... And you work for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've worked for this person. You probably currently work for this person. Yeah. And he ends up, he meaning Clark, decides to put on Miner's garb again. He like, what's the word? Um, When you go to a place where you're not al- allowed to be. Trespasses? Um, he trespasses on this guy's estate. He, he peers through a window and discovers a gay party in progress. We'll talk about gay parties next week <laughs> for another gay party. But for this gay party, it's like the mine owner is having a bunch of his rich friends over, you know, how the other half lives. And there's a blonde Lois and then just Lois, but it's not actually Lois. Yeah, again, there is one woman. They even have the exact same hair except for just their color differently. Yep. Um, with, like, one is blonde and the other is the, like, blue that is a stand-in for, like, dark hair back in the old-school printing technologies. I love it. I do think Trista's art got, like, a lot better over time. There's, um, he did some porn comics later in life that actually look, yeah, they look really good, but they also just look like Superman and Lois Lane. (laughs) Do you have access to these? I've seen, if you Google them, I've seen pictures of them, um... YouTube channel called NerdSync did a whole video about, like, some of this stuff. I assume we're gonna cover those. <laughs> if, if I, you know what, if I ever find the, the book, I will get the book, and we will cover them, and we'll talk about just these one-panel, like, BDSM porn comics done by Joe Shuster. All right. But we'll only call them Superman and Lois Lane when we describe what's happening. Uh-huh. But anyway... <laughs> With what's on the page right now, Superman, like, gets apprehended by the guards and his little miner get up. And essentially, like, at first the mine owner is like, get rid of him. But then he's like, you know what? I have an idea. We're very bored rich people, so we're gonna fuck with this miner for a while. Yeah, and he's like, we'll have this miner take us down to the mine and we'll get to see what stuff is like down there. It'll be a... A real change of scenery, freshen things up, you know? Because, like, because we're rich and we don't have to live there, or rather, you know, we don't have to work there to make a living, we can just go to the dirty, dangerous mine and it'll be a matter of fun for us, us rich socialites. What the fuck is this party? (laughs) Yeah, it's very strange, and then everyone goes along with it. They're all like, hell yeah, that sounds great. Let's go see where the pores work. The... And then they make their way down, and once he, like, lets everyone else make it a ways ahead of him out of view, Clark then intentionally causes... Clark specifically this whole time is going to be in his minor disguise. So not at, not even as disguised as Clark, just as a nameless minor. He's doing an accent as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, again, it's not... I can't tell quite... I think he's trying to pretend to be Eastern European. Beautiful ladies, much music, rich party. I read of these things. Tonight I want to see them with my own eyes. Yeah. He's, like, just pretending to be the poor guy who got hurt earlier. And once he gets the rich people in the mine, which... He attacks the support. Yeah, he intentionally causes cave-in damage, gets them all trapped down there, and is essentially trying to show them all how stressful it is to be in this dangerous mine 
And the mine owner even has a moment of being like, we'll get out, we have the safety features. And then it's just the whole, "Uh uh-uh, remember, the safety features are old and rusted and don't work because you were never the one at danger, so you didn't care about keeping them actually safe. Uh, my favorite is the, the as soon as the mine is caved in, the mine is like, help, help me, I'm suffocating, and Clark's just like, no, you can't be. Arrow lasts another 24 hours at least. Yeah. These sorts of people are the weakest little fucks on the planet. What the fuck are the safety devices, by the way? They're just because I like, wait, the safety devices. Why didn't I think of them super? We're as good as saved. Thank goodness for the safety devices. Phew, for a minute I thought we were doomed. And then there's just some sort of lever where I'm like, I don't know what exactly this was supposed to do, but it doesn't do it. So, like, either they did no research for this comic, and that's why we're confused, or we should have done the research they did to know what this is. But I don't know what this is. I'm guessing it sends a signal to the surface about there being a cave-in. Oh, yeah. It might literally just be a matter of, like, calling for backup and help as opposed to... Safety devices is such a weird way to refer to it. Yeah. Like... I, 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 does this thing just, like, make a light flash on the surface or something? Like, what does it do? Whatever it is, it doesn't work. And so the rich guy is like, you have to get us out of here. Start digging. We have to make it out in the next 24 hours before I suffocate. And minor disguise Clark is like, I'd be perfectly happy to die down here. If you want to make it out, dig yourself, pig. <laughs> And so we get all these panels of all the rich people picking up their pickaxes that I guess were just still down there of like from actual workers earlier. They just grab pickaxes and we get these rich people trying to mine away at the sides of the cave and having mental breakdowns because like, you know, this is something that could kill even professionals, much less people who have no mining skills. And eventually they all just collapse from being exhausted and existentially terrified of death. Eventually tired beyond endurance, the mind's prisoners collapse limply. Oh yeah, the rich jackass by voice like, Oh, if I had to all overdo this again, I never knew, really knew, what the men down here have to face. And Klaus is like, that's all I've been waiting to hear. It, the way he's like holding himself here too, he's got like his, his arms sort of like in front of him, like he's doing like the... Yeah, I'm audio medium. I don't know why I'm visualizing this movement right now. Yeah, I'm not sure how to describe, like, the physical motion, but just a very exaggerated, like, that's the ticket. Yeah, yeah. And we have just one last page of this last issue. (laughs) Where, like, when everyone else passes out, Clark then fixes the mess that he created. Everyone gets out, and our final panel is of Clark Kent once again interviewing the man. And the man is just like, I have seen the light because I went through it myself. My mind is going to be so safe. My workers are going to be so well treated. And Clark is like, good, keep it that way. Or it'll be time for another visit from Superman. Which, of course, Superman was never there. I don't think he's telling the guy that Superman's gonna visit. Like, that's in parentheses, so I think that's meant to be, like, him, like, whispering to himself or thinking it, because the visual, like, there's no thought balloons here. I don't know if they've come up with those yet. Yeah, it's like, it is clearly meant to be that he's not actually saying it to the man. But yeah, like you said, there's no 
thought balloons. So like, yeah, even just like the lettering and way that bubbles are handled on the page is very rudimentary here, you know, in terms of just like what are the givens of how thoughts and text and speech are conveyed in comics now. Even that's not done here the way it would be in a modern comic. We don't have fault balloons yet, so far as I can tell. And nowadays, of course, we have lost them again. The happy medium is that middle period where we were allowed to know what a character was thinking. I mean, they've just replaced them with, like, narrative captions. I I like the happy bit where we had both. I think both are useful for different things, but I don't think that they're synonymous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, the story is fun as just, like, a batshit idea and i like the idea of clark kent trapping rich people and making them fear death for workers rights yeah and specifically for like labor i think like you know my con to the story is that again it almost feels too convenient and down pat of like oh the rich guy didn't understand what he was doing to his workers so now he'll be better you know (laughs) versus in real life it's very they do know and they don't care so it doesn't feel particularly like applicable you know like you know i'm sure some people in some limited circumstance could have something like this shake them a little bit and have them improve themselves but just on a structural level this isn't what it's actually like you know so on that level you know it's like I can't, like, take it too deeply as, like, an accurate whatever, but I think I enjoy it more than not because there is just a lot of fun of watching him intentionally cause a cave-in. If you locked Jess Bezos in one of those warehouses, in, in an Amazon warehouse, I don't think he changes fucking mind about how much of a piece of shit he is and the way he treats his workers. So on that level, this doesn't work. On the level of just, like, the sheer fun insanity of Superman, just, like, the fact that so many of these early Superman stories, like, Superman finds a lobbyist to bully for a while, or a rich mine owner to just be like, he's, he's bullying them, that's what he's doing. <laughs> he's showing up and he's just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just fuck with you for a while. I love that attitude, and I appreciate that aspect of these comics of, like, Here is a superhuman fighting, like, the worst human problems of just, like, greed and mistreatment and stuff. And I love that. You know, I think the actual execution doesn't hold up to scrutiny in terms of implications. You know, I think there is a lot of sentiment of just, oh, the bad guys don't know better, you know? So I don't think it holds up if you really think about it. But I still think they're enjoyable, and I like the general ethos behind it, even if the execution is what it is. Yeah, I I definitely want a degree of this, like, Superman just, like, fucking with assholes aspect of the character to come back. Like, the thing that's here that I would say is missing from current Superman more than anything else is that this guy likes playing tricks on people. And we sort of lost that. Like, we had that for a long time. Because if you look at, like, 50s Superman comics with the wild, like, premise, you know, this issue, Superman's got a lion's head. Or this issue, Jimmy Olsen has superpowers and is fighting Superman for some reason. Actually, okay, so my favorite, which we're going to read this for the podcast eventually. There is a Jimmy Olsen Superman's pal story where on the cover... 
for some reason, Jimmy has now been, like, adopted by Superman. <laughs> he's like, uh, Superman, I mean Dad. And he's given him a Father's Day present that's, like, a dressing gown with the Superman logo on it. And Superman's like, this is terrible. I I'm burning with my heat vision. And when you read the comic, he's, like, faking hating his adopted son, Jimmy, because of, like, a weird prophecy from the time machine thing he has. And, and, like, it's this whole elaborate trick where he's pretending to be a jackass but isn't. And I want that back. I want more of Superman enjoying being a bit of an asshole. There's a reason one of the most iconic comic book sites of all time is called Super Dickery. Highly recommend it. Go check it out, everyone. It's great. Yeah. Bring back the Clark Kent who would lock the guy in the mine. Yeah. The true moral thing to do. Should have just left him. Truly. <laughs> Superman, more violent than usual here, but not violent enough. <laughs> but with that said, <laughs> do you have any more thoughts or any uh, sort of things you wanted to touch on before we wrap up today? Just that I think if you're remotely interested in the history of this character, you should read these early ones and, and read a bit further. I'm planning, I'm going to at least read through to like the first like Lex Luthor story. Because I'm just fascinated to know what that guy was fucking like back in this era. And, like, I want to read through to the point where Superman becomes boring. Because there's just going to be a point where he becomes, like, he's he's clearly opposed to the status quo in his early stories. And there is a point where Superman, I think in large part thanks to World War II, became a supporter of the status quo. I want to find that point, and I want to go back to before that point. Well, I think it's also just interesting in terms of, like, Superman, like, a lot of really prominent American comic book characters is specifically created by Jewish creators, you know, and just, like, Jewish comic creators effectively built the industry, you know, and I think that's largely forgotten and brushed over historically. Looking back, like, I, you know, I think a lot of people don't know that. And you sort of, it makes the way people talk about Superman now sometimes feel weird to me whenever there's, like, the idea of talking about Superman as, like, a Christ-like figure. Oh, that shit pisses me off so much. Yeah, I'm like, could we not do that? Could we do something that, like, actually is intelligently informed by the history behind this character and his creators? That's, like, the one thing I don't enjoy in the 70s movie like, the way Man of Steel goes out of its way to have Clark be 33 when that movie fucking happens pisses me off so much. This guy is not Jesus. If he is any biblical fi figure, he's Moses. Because the whole river thing is, that's the origin. That's what it is. You know, Jor-El is not a god stand-in. Jor-El is a sending his kid down the river stand-in. Nobody's called Jor-El yet, but he will be. And I think Saigon just created that. Hmm. Yeah. Final notes, old Superman good, Christian Superman bad, Tom Taylor Superman bad, bring back the one who locks people in mines. See, the uh, Grant Morrison Action Comics New 52 one would do that, and that's why I love him. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, you know, we've got a bit good recommendation for Superman right now, but it's got this vibe. Superman smashes the clan. Go read that. That one's great. Yeah. yeah, with that, shall we go ahead and do the intro for next week? Yes. So next week, we're skipping forward 
about 65 years in history between works to 2003, we will be slapping some lever with issues number one and two of the Rawhide Kid miniseries under the Max imprint, which if you are one of the 99.9% of humanity and even 99.9% of American comic book readers who don't know who the Rawhide Kid is, the Rawhide Kid is one of Marvel's longest-running Western comic characters from back when the industry was still more diversified in genre. He was like a long-running figures in the 60s and 70s, and then they brought him back in a Max that was like an adult imprint series where he was still a cowboy, but he is now the sassy gay cowboy. And these comics have largely been panned and are largely the consensus critically is that they're homophobic and offensive. And next week, we're going to tell you why that is incorrect and why these are actually fucking awesome. And some gay people just don't know how to read, I guess. You can tell them that. I will be staying out of that one. I will tell them that. I'm, I'm not getting into that one. I will, I will just laugh at the covers where the gun holster is slung directly in front of his penis and also filling the entire, like, cover. The cover's fucking funny. Yeah. I will make the argument for why these are actually great. I think they'll be fun regardless. I think they're really interesting culturally and historically, regardless of how you feel about them. But yeah, I will be making the argument. I guess, I don't know if I've said this on the show or not at this point. As a general inclusive statement, I love gay people. That does not mean I love all gay people, because some of you bitches are dumb. But if you're listening to our show, I probably don't mean you. But if you are one of those gay dumb bitches, look forward to being educated next week. How's that for an end on note? Um, anyway, Rawhide Kid, next week. <laughs> Staying out of it. Token straight, not, not getting involved. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.